Today is um, Pentecost Sunday, and uh, for, you, uh, for those of you who are new to church, you'll be like, what is that? What does that even mean? Well, it's a day that's celebrated in the Jewish calendar 50 days after Passover. Passover is that famous meal where the people of God celebrate the moment where God's people, if you remember either the Disney film Prince of Egypt or from RE, where God's people painted with the blood of lambs across their doorposts. So an angel of death in the time of Egypt swept over the people and it, and it passed over God's people. And then Moses took those people through the Red Sea into the Promised Land, or on the way into the Promised Land. So a celebration every, um, every year that Jewish people have, reminding that, um, uh, on Passover, reminding that God passed over them and set them free into the Promised Land. And Pentecost is a festival, it's more around agriculture, and it's the, fe- uh, it's the Feast of First Fruits. And so you would give to the Lord the first bit of corn or your first lamb, which by this point in the calendar is now ready to be sacrificed. And you'd give the first thing, your best, to the Lord before everything else. And so it's at this point where we find the disciples, the people who have been following Jesus, now Jesus been killed, he's resurrected, and now ascended to be with the Father. And the disciples now gathered in a room again to celebrate this Pentecost. But the problem with the disciples is they've left all of their uh, skilled labor behind. So many of them left their boats to follow Jesus. So many of them left their calling, which they thought their vocations, to follow Jesus. So many of them gave that stuff up. So they're gathered, and what do they have? They've got nothing, really apart from themselves. And so they're gathered in this room uh, to celebrate Pentecost when we find the Acts, um, that we find the Acts of Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. If you've got a Bible or you've got a phone, why don't you uh, flip to that? I'll come up on the screens too, but it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. We've got to know that that's weird. I think sometimes we read our Bibles and like, yeah, I remember that bit. I'll just carry on. But it's, this is an odd thing to happen. God is not in the, we weren't in the business of windy rooms. Like this is, a, this is an odd thing to happen right now. And then it gets weirder. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So they could see, everyone, all people, could see what appeared to be tongues of fire resting above each person there. And then all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's supposed to be odd. This isn't a moment that we've seen before like this in Scripture. It's supposed to jar with us slightly. We're supposed to be slightly disturbed by this moment and say, what is God doing? What is God up to at this moment in time? It's remarkable. We have to get our heads around it. And in the history of God, never had so many people at one moment in time, all at the same time, been filled with the Holy Spirit. The thing is, is we'd seen God filling people with the Spirit before. In the Old Testament, we hear of an artist called Bezalel who is filled with the Holy Spirit to make the Ark of the Covenant, which was going to be a box-like structure that was going to carry the presence of God with, the, um, with God's people. But we're told that it was the Holy Spirit that filled the artist to give him the inspiration to do so. And in the book of Numbers, we hear of a group of elders being filled with the Holy Spirit, which allowed them to give prophetic words to one another. We hear of the judge Othniel, Great name if you're pregnant. Stick that one right at the top. Othniel. Um, 
He was filled with the Holy Spirit, which gave him the ability to be a judge. Gideon was filled with the Holy Spirit, which allowed him to lead people. Certain people throughout the Old Testament were filled with the Holy Spirit for particular purposes. But that moment in Pentecost, we just get an outpouring of God's grace. That They're, they're not being filled with, um, um, uh, with a particular mandate at this point in time. There isn't like a particular agenda. It's God is coming, filling them with his spirit, an outpouring of grace and love. Amen. Amen. And power to a large amount of people that then sent them out with a kind of courage and boldness to become a new type of people. A spirit-filled people who then in turn encouraged others to live like that. And the thing is, with the baptisms that we've seen this morning, it's exciting because, not just because people like to get wet publicly, that's not why we all get excited. We get excited because what we see is the Holy Spirit is still at work in the lives of people. We are not a people that gather and speak about something that went on historically. We're not a, um, a, a refurbished museum that talks about great things that happened long ago. But every time we baptize people, we're like, God is still in the business of rocking up and changing people's lives. So what God did on the day at Pentecost, he is still doing today. The Holy Spirit comes and rests on God's people, filling them, reminding them of his love, of his power, and of his grace. But also of his power and sending us out to be the people that God sees them. Hear his heart for them and speaks the words of truth and love to the very core of our being. I like baptisms. They excite me. I'm like, thank the Lord, because it's still happening. People are still being moved. Um, Laura and I um, have been dating since we were uh, about 17. But we met when uh, we were 14. I was a new kid in a new school. And my brother um, was the only person who gave me like bees, uh, birds and the bees kind of talks. My brother's six years older than me. Never trust your brother, who's six years older, in any advice they ever give you. But one thing I remember him saying to me was, you know, if ever you get a bit of attention, treat them mean, keep them keen, was what he said. Um, anyone else given that piece of wisdom? No one. You're all liars. Lads in the room, all lying. Anyway, um, I really liked my brother, respected him, so I thought, this is how it works. Um, I met Laura when I was 14, went into a brand new school, Brand new class, first class I was in, it was science. Laura was sat there. And Laura was the really nice kid that every teacher has, that whenever there's a new kid in class, they introduce them to show them around the school, take them to their lessons and that kind of thing. And so I know she's lovely, isn't she? I was not that kid. Um, and anyway, Mr. Farrow, our science teacher, who hated me from day one, brought Laura over and said, um, Alex, this is Laura. Laura, this is Alex. Laura's going to take you to your next lesson. And so at the end of the lesson, Laura came up to me, and I was already like, she's all right, isn't she? But in the back of my head, I was like, treat her mean, keep them keen. And um, so Laura came up to me at the end of the lesson, said, hi, Alex, um, do you want me to take you to the next lesson? Um, that's Laura. Um, and I then said, no, thanks, I'll find my own way. And I got lost <laughs> in the school. It was a big old school. And um, I was about 15 minutes late to our next lesson, and Laura was sat at the back of maths. And I can still picture it in my mind with the smuggest look on her face to be like, yeah, you think you, you, think you know your way around this place. Anyway, we ended up falling in love, obviously, because I'm so endearing. Um, 
It took me four years to convince her that I was worth even thinking about. But the thing is, falling in love is relatively straightforward, isn't it? Sometimes it's a move of emotion. Sometimes it's a move of um, there's something that goes on here. But the hard work comes in maintaining love, always. Falling in love is easy, but maintaining love is where the hard work happens. How Laura still loves me 17 years on is still a mystery, but it's, it takes hard work. And the thing is, it's the same with falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus is relatively straightforward. Encountering his spirit, being excited and zealous for the Lord in those days is relatively simple. If you remember when you first became a Christian, I used to walk around with my pocket Bible in my back pocket, and I would bring it out at any occasion, all the time. I wanted to chat to people, everyone, bus driver, passenger on the bus, wherever you are on a bus, at a bus, I'm going to chat to you about Jesus. It was relatively easy to have that kind of passion and zeal. But the hard work comes in maintaining that love. The hard work comes in what are we going to do after that event? When that event feels less fresh in our minds, what are we going to do then? And so Paul is writing, we're in week two of our series in the book of Colossians. But Paul is writing to a people who have never met Jesus face to face. They probably weren't there at the first Pentecost. They weren't surrounded at the action, but they had become Christians and fallen in love with Jesus. And they had met with the Spirit in all kinds of ways. And Paul is writing to them to say, not just um, how do we become zealous for the Lord, but how do we become people that are Pentecostal in shape? How do you become people that are expectant for the Holy Spirit to move us and shape us as a community? How do you become people that for Pentecost isn't just something we celebrate once a year, but is the kind of people that we are? Oh no, it's funny. Paul is writing to a community in Colossae who wouldn't have met Jesus. They probably wouldn't have been at that first Pentecost event. And yet each one of them are asking the question, how do we become people that are distinctive in our communities, that are being led by Jesus in the here and now, in the mundane and the exciting? And so we're going to look at Colossians 2. Why don't you flick your Bibles to it if you have it. If not, come on the screen. But I want to read you Colossians 2 verse 2. It says this. My goal or my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. In order, so that they may have full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. My goal or my purpose is they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. And I wonder what your goals are if you were to think you might have watched a, um, a YouTube channel where someone gives you like 10 goals to a really successful life, but you might have set yourself some kind of goals. And often the kind of goals or things that drive us or the things that give us purpose are often things that give us some kind of peace. Financial peace, job security, family peace, financial security. And um, not because I'm hinting at birthday presents, but yesterday was my birthday. Um, and I turned 35. <laughs> Whoa. Who can remember it? Who can remember it? Who's looking forward to it? I mean, 35. Halfway to retirement, guys. But also, I am a third done of my employed life. And I've been thinking this week, so what are my goals? What are my goals for the next third? What are my goals for the next half? What are my goals? What's my purpose? Someone texted me just yesterday saying, can we pray for you? What are your goals for the next half of your life? I'm like, cheers. Um, Paul's goal, his purpose, was all about the other. It wasn't about himself at all. His purpose, the thing that drove him, was not about himself at all. 
He says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart. It's that they may be united in love. It's for the other. And when we let the Holy Spirit shift our purpose, our purpose starts to become about the other. Not about ourselves, but about serving the other. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and one of the first things that happened was that people heard the gospel being preached in their own language. They no longer had to learn ancient Hebrew to understand the, the word of God. That now they were hearing it in their own tongue. It wasn't about the individuals being blessed in the room, but even those outside the four walls of that Pentecostal chamber were being impacted by the things of the Spirit. It wasn't just a spiritual message that was being proclaimed, but a shift of goals and of purpose. The other starts to become your purpose. And it's why when I was 17 and in desperate need of accommodation, that a family, of, a family from church reached out and said, hey, we've got a spare room. We don't need our house to be a tidy, picture-perfect house. We're ready for our house to be disrupted by a 17-year-old boy coming with all his guitars and changing our conservatory into a recording studio. I mean, that wasn't part of the deal, but it's definitely what happened. But they wanted to use their resources to bless the other. The thing is, I didn't know this. I'd met this family once for a roast lamb, and that was it. And the next week, they were like, come in, move in with us. It's why a family from this church has paid for another family to come to focus. The spirit has shifted their purpose to the other. It's why Christians throughout the ages have not per pursued careers as an end in themselves, but to be a blessing. It's why a successful businessman also in this church spends a lot of his free time and resources on charity projects all over the world. The spirit comes and shifts our purpose. And his purpose, Paul says, is for us to be encouraged which comes from the Latin, to, be, to have our hearts filled. Like not just have a pat on the back, but to have our hearts filled and that we would have unity in love, that our love would be united, that yeah, we won't all look the same, we won't all dress the same, we won't all sing the same songs, we won't all have the same preferences, but we will be united in love, that our, at our core we'll find unity. Why? Not so that we make a picture-perfect community photo on Instagram, but so that the gospel may be preached, so that people may know that God loves them, that whilst they've messed up, he's done all he needs to through Jesus, so that you and I may be united to God in Christ. So the choice is now ours to either accept it and accept his love and then live differently. The mystery of God has been known through the person of Jesus Christ. So let the spirit shift your purpose. But also let the Spirit change your perspective. Paul goes on in Colossians. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Rooted and built up. We are to be built up, and this literally means to be built upon a solid foundation or superstructure. And it points, it points towards the foundation that we build on more than the actual building itself. It points towards the, what is underlying our being, what is underneath all that we are, what is at your core. And it reminds us of that story that Jesus tells in the book of Matthew. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine 
and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So how do we do it? How do we build upon the rock? Well, Jesus shows his working. We hear Jesus' words and put them into practice. Easy, right? Simple. Really easy. We do that through community. We need each other because you're rubbish at doing it alone. We forget. There was a song that we sung earlier that we just forget that stuff sometimes. We forget to be thankful. We forget the discipline of following Jesus. We need community. That's why Paul also said, no, let's don't give up meeting with one another because we need one another. We also do it through the reading of Scripture. We're forgetful people. The people of God were forgetful people too. The amount of times that the word forget or remember is mentioned in the Psalms is astronomical because as humans, we need to be reminded of the grace that we have been set free from. All of us mess up. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And we need to be reading Scripture so we can remind ourselves of the grace that God has given us. But it also takes discipline. Also takes discipline. And Tim Keller, who's one of my favorite preachers, who died last week after a battle with cancer, says this way. Religion are the things that we try and do to make ourselves good. Discipline are the things that are good in and of themselves. So religion is like the stuff that we try and do. I must get to church so that God will love me more. I must read my Bible so that God will love me more. I must pray so that God will love me. That's religion. That's religion saying that there's a deficit in you, that God doesn't love you, and you need to do something to make up for that. And yet discipline is just saying, I'm just going to rock up to church whether I like it or not because it's a good in, its, in and of itself. I'm going to read the Bible because I'm going to trust that it's, in and of itself it's a good. It's like salad. I might not want it every day, but I know that it's good for me. It's a bit better than salad. <laughs> Definitely better than celery. I hate celery. <laughs> we read the Bible. We pray. We don't give up meeting because they are good. When we pick up this book, the words of God start to shape our thoughts and our actions. And as Jesus says, as we hear these words, we're able to put them into practice. And then our foundations get stronger and stronger. And remember, when we pray, we are communicating with our Father in heaven through the Son by the Spirit of God. It is a good in and of itself. Even when we don't feel the warm and fuzzies. Even when we don't feel like anything shifting at the time, it is a good in and of itself. When we meet together, we are calling out the good in one another, upholding each other in prayer, worshipping together, witnessing baptisms and life change. It is in and of itself a good. They do not make us good. They are good things. And Paul is saying, build your life on that stuff. Prioritize that stuff in your life. Put that stuff at the foundation. Make that stuff the cornerstone. Let those things shape your diary. Let those things shape your conversation. Let those things shape your thoughts. Change your perspective. But also let the Spirit give you power. And I love Eugene Peterson's translation of the message. He sometimes just hits the nail on the head. And, and his version of Colossians 2.12 says this. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in. Insiders, not through some secret initiation rite, but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. 
If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. But God brought you alive. Right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. The old arrest warrant cancelled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. When we say yes to Jesus, we receive his spirit. It's leaving inside of us. We become, as the Bible writers say, temples of the Holy Spirit. There's no graduation necessary, just more awareness, more recognition, more developing of a familiarity that the Spirit of God is in you. And I know some of you are going through some stuff right now, like bottom of the valley in the, in the, in the very pit of life stuff. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, is living in you. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is living in you. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It is in you. More familiarity with the power that now lives in us. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead. I remember when I first felt the Holy Spirit. I didn't grow up going to church at all. And I remember when I first felt the Holy Spirit. A couple of people prayed for me. And do you know what? Nothing happened. Nothing dramatic happened at all. But I felt a sense of peace and almost like an overwhelming sense of it, it's going to be okayness. That no matter what I'm going through, it, it's going to be all right. And in that moment, that, the weight of the stuff that was going on in my private life, in the stuff at home, just, just lifted. And I was like, it's okay because God is with me in that moment. Now I've also been prayed for and collapsed, collapsed is not a word, collapsed in a heap or collapsed on the floor under the weight and knowledge of God's love. I've been prayed for and felt God give me words in my head or pictures to share with others for encouragement, things I could never have known. I took a youth group um, to Chile once. It's, I won't ever tell you many things about this trip because it was awful. Most of the trip was awful. But part of the trip, we were going around Santiago, the capital in Chile, giving out flyers for a Christian concert. And, um, and just giving them out. And at the end of the week, there's going to be this Christian concert that people could come to and hear the gospel. And so I was going around with these flyers in broken Spanish saying, Hola, soy un Anglicano Cristiano, un concerto, uh, Domingo. And I was doing this like regularly, so I was getting a bit fluent. Like, oh, soy un Anglicano Cristiano, un concerto, Domingo. And I was doing this surprise round of I said this to one lady, and she just started crying. And I was like, oh no, what have I said? What Spanish word have I suddenly learnt um, and said to her and offended this poor lady? And she was burst out into tears. And so one of our Chilean friends ran over to me because she thought that I had said something offensive to this lady. And, and she, they had this conversation. And this lady had burst into tears. And, um, and then the, my Chilean friend turned to me and said, how good is your Spanish? And I was like, well, it's got pretty good. And she said... Um, how did you know how to tell the story of the prodigal son? And I was like, I didn't. But in my broken Spanish, what this lady had heard was the story of the prodigal son. 
which she hadn't heard since she had been in Sunday school as a kid and hadn't heard it forever and has just felt like she is far away from God and God is calling her home. I mean, I literally said three, three lines to her in broken Spanish, but what she had heard was God calling this lady home. God does amazing things, but still, I sometimes lack faith. Still, I don't have the courage to pray for this stuff. Still, sometimes I lack faith that God will rock up and do stuff. Sometimes I lack desire even. Because if I ask the Holy Spirit to come, then my plans might shift and my plans might change and, and things might have to move. And sometimes I lack the courage because I'm like, well, actually, if, if I don't pray that prayer, that the Spirit, like, if I don't invite God to come and, and ruin things and change things according to his purposes, then actually at least I know what's going to happen. So I've got those squared away in my box. The thing is, we pray, come Holy Spirit, not because he isn't already here, but because we need reminding of his presence. We pray, come Holy Spirit, not because we're waiting for him to show up, but because we need to get moving in the things of the Spirit. We pray, come Holy Spirit, not because he isn't already moving, but because we need our eyes to see what he is up to. May our purpose be one that people be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And may we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him with that Pentecostal fire that isn't just something we celebrate once a year, but it's our OS, our operating system around how we move and have our being. 